Kane Winstead. Hello, Internet. I'm Matthew Derrigish. And today we are talking about Spider-Man Unlimited Volume 1, Number 8, written in February 1995 by Tom Lyle, with breakdowns by Ron Lim, and then finishing uh, art by Palmer Milgram, Candelario, and Scott Hanna, and colors by John Calise. If you want to read along with the podcast, uh, this issue is readily available online in all their usual spots. And a physical copy when you can track one down, not terribly expensive. So this is not one that's going to break the bank or be hard to find. This might be a little more expensive, though, than your average issue, only because the cover price was. Yes, uh, Spider-Man Unlimited was a giant-sized volume where each... (laughs) Each episode, I'm sorry, each issue uh, was around 50 to 60 pages. So not quite a double size issue, not quite that king size issue, but a giant sized issue. Because we here at Untold are practicers of pedantry. Oh uh, yeah, and so just a quick quick rundown of Unlimited Volume 1. The first two issues were part of Maximum Carnage, and then we got a handful of standalone stories. And then actually after this one, we go right into the Clone Saga, and Unlimited was in that rotation of Clone Saga titles. Right, and then it does bounce back to a few other... Um, it becomes more of an anthology after that, I believe, where there's like a backup in the back. It, it does, and then it gets cancelled volume two relaunches and it's just an adaptation or not an adaptation but i think a continuation of the tv show spider-man unlimited and then volume three comes in a few years later in the mid-aughts which i actually have not read any of that mid-aughts series and i kind of want to check it out now there's some good ones buried in there uh ripe fodder for our show perfect that's what i love to hear uh speaking of ripe fodder um what were your general impressions on this oh. on this issue? Before we get there, I just want to note uh, this whole block is based on suggestions from our beautiful listeners and users. And this one comes from Detective Spidey on the Twitter. So he recommended this issue. So there you thank go. You de- thank you, Detective Spidey. Um, I'm trying to think of a good detective pun right now. Um, I got nothing. He's got gum on his shoe. Yeah. So do you think Detective Spidey is anything like Detective Pikachu? Do you think that's actually Ryan Reynolds' account? Judging by the headshot, no. Like a Korean Ryan Reynolds? (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Uh, Looking at at Detective Spidey's uh, username right now, he's got a South Korean flag in there, so I'm just assuming he's Korean. So for those who are listening and wondering why I jumped to Korea. Yeah, that was a bit of a jump there. (laughs) I mean, it's halfway around the world. It's got to be like a Hulk leap to get there in one jump. Yeah. Uh, So general impressions. Um, This is... We're going to have to talk about this differently than we do other issues. Because this issue features a terrorist attack on the World Trade Center. That's our key point of action. And as you can imagine, that um, probably has a different context from your normal superhero fare uh, I mean, now I mean, yeah, than when yeah, it was written. Just as a reminder, this was written in 1995, so like, right. it, it definitely it definitely has a different tenor in 95 than it does in 2019. 
Right. So there's a bit of historical context, but realizing that obviously the creators had no idea, there's no intention like that, like this was just meant to be a superhero comic like any other. It's far from the only comic book to have a terrorist or otherwise attack on the World Trade Center. Certainly not the only Spider-Man comic. And yeah, so if some of this sounds, if we kind of glaze past some of that, I think it's only in being fair to the comic, but we do realize that uh, it's, it's a bit more charged than uh, it should have been. Yes. Cool. But yeah, and anyway, um, let's get a little context out of the way for this story. So this takes place right right toward, well, not, not the very beginning of the Clone Saga. Um, we're kind of 95. We're, we're kind of starting to wade into it. Yeah, we're, we're in the Clone Saga. Um, we're just a little bit past Maximum Carnage. But like Ben Riley is well established and a known player here. And this is at the phase where we have Scarlet Spider and Spidey swinging around, mucking up each other's lives. Uh, and also oh this is before the final adventure so they're still in the same city yeah thank goodness um (laughs) um (laughs) and then uh this is also uh, hot off the heels of the Web of Death. And wait, am I thinking of the right name here? It takes place around the Web of Death. So if you know the events of that comic, um, that helps place it, I guess, but it really doesn't have any true impact on this story. No, and like true impact is kind of the name of the game here. Uh, this is a little like one shot standalone story. And other than killing off like a minor character in Ben Riley kind of sphere there's not much going on as far as you know shakeups within the characters or any sort of stakes that exist past this comic um i i feel like this is easy to wash over but this is an issue where peter and ben work together just kind of as a matter of course that doesn't feel like it really truly happens a lot because there's usually they they have to play like the animosity or like isn't it weird that we're both in the same room kind of deal so this just kind of the action took over and let there just kind of be two spider-men going for and there's kind of a play at one moment on that that i found interesting in here that i think could have had an emotional impact if you're reading it at the time and didn't know where all this stuff was headed. But we'll get there. Well, yeah, well, I mean, I, I want to talk about that just a little bit more, actually. I, I think it, it it's the same thing kind of happened with uh, the 2099 issue where the the impact maybe of the story is a little lost on me uh, once we've like completely divorced it from, you know, reading it in 1995 when it came out and it and so like this story is delivering kind of a different take on these two characters relationship like you said they're they're kind of working together without that commentary on you know the running commentary of you know who's the who's the clone who's the real one that mystery uh that that's kind of tabled for for what is essentially just a straight thriller um Mm -hmm. 
kind of style story. And, and I can I can understand that be like a kind of refreshing take and, and exciting. Well, and I'm not saying this is the only comic like it, but so mm-hmm. much set in the Clone Saga was so concerned about the Clone Saga as opposed to just kind of letting it be a moment in comics history. And this is one of the issues that is just in that moment, but not concerned with concerned with it at all. It just right. exists there. And that I, I kind of enjoy those comics a bit more because I feel like this has only been increased now where we have these events that are meant to establish a new status quo like I mean, this is reaching back a little bit now, but like Seeker Invasion or Civil War. But we get that status quo for like four months before the next event, which means we get less than one full story anymore as well. But having this kind of, you know, bigger issue to just tell one story to be there kind of gives a little more meaning gravitas to the events because we get moments in between. Mm-hmm. And so I I think there's something to that and something to enjoy about these smaller stories, which is the reason you and I show up anyways. There we go. So I think that's enough talking about, like, talking around the issue. Um, let's let's jump straight in for those uh, who aren't reading the issue along with us. So, like, we open up pretty much straight away to an army of, like, gold-clad flying baddies called Terror Unlimited taking over uh, one of the uh, towers of the World Trade Center, specifically the um, Skyline Restaurant uh, at the the top of it, uh, where Mary Jane is meeting one of her friends for a nice luncheon. And we're, we're immediately given these guys motivation. They're here to rob money. Um, and then we got like this great line where they're talking about how easy it is. And then one of the mooks, because there's supposed to be some sort of hierarchy, I think, but it's, mm-hmm. you don't, you never really see any of their faces. Um, there's never much to really differentiate between them. They do technically have different designs, but they all look like 90s image gi joe characters in gold chromium so unless you really take a moment to like discern them by visual cues like which ones have a you know mask a ski mask kind of deal versus having like a machine gun or a pistol like (laughs) they blend together they they definitely blend together but um for their motivation, you know, they, they mention that they're here for the money. And after they, you know, get all this uh, ransom money, they're going to make it to the to an island in the Pacific, babes all over them and money to burn. And like, I'm looking at these guys of like like six dudes decked out and like you said, like gold plated chromi- chromium with like machine guns and rocket boots and like walkie talkies and headsets. I'm wondering, like, how much money? money does it take to arm someone like this in the MC- in the Marvel universe where like you couldn't just take that to your Pacific Island and have have your like wild fantasy with money to burn like th- this is this is clearly <laughs> some high tech stuff uh that's fair but it's marvel so this kind of stuff you know is for your general mook so probably not worth that much you know you just stop by the local radio shack and gear up uh also i want to point out this is the 90s so all these guys are white grew on trees (laughs) oh well that too sorry what'd you say all the stuff literally grew on trees right 
Um, also, we get a quick little nod to the fact that MJ is pregnant. Yep. So, you know, clone saga. So once we finish with the World Trade Center and establish the, establishing that, we establish Ben Riley and we establish Peter. Uh, Peter comes back from web swinging and finds a note from Mary Jane saying that she's going to be at the Skyline restaurant. And I love that the way this note is paneled. Uh, so the, <laughs> the the piece of paper is at a 45 degree angle. So you're, you're chopping off like the top left and the top right corner. But the letter, I guess the artist wrote the note in such a way that you'd be able to read it despite the fact that this, this paper is missing from the panel but it would make no sense for Mary Jane to actually write it like that on the note. Are, are, are you following me? I, I want to know production wise whether that was the artist or the letter. I mean like it, yeah like it, it's, it's hard to tell but either way someone dropped the ball there. <laughs> I mean, would it have been better to go the other way and, like, have the letter cut off? I don't know. I mean, the only important information from the letter is that Mary Jane's saying that she's at the Skyline Diner. The rest of the notes saying that, like, oh, maybe I'll see you swinging over the city as I look out over the rooftop. Like, it's just fluff. Um... I like that, but, though, but I hear you. This is some bad comic booking. Like, this is slop. This is a bad way to do it. But it's also a page that no one was probably caring about in your D-list Spider-Man book that month that they were churning up. <laughs> it's true. And, like... I and I'll touch on this later, but like I think this adds a little bit to the charm of the episode and like and or the issue and just the the kind of uh, periodness of it. I also just want to point out Peter's hair here is something else. It's like a flat top with curls. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm really glad most of the action is in costume because I mean. Ben looks sickly. <laughs> and you're right. Peter has this really weird guile from Street Fighter, almost like perfectly flat leveled <laughs> flat top uh, with like some bangs kind of like tendriling out. Um, it's a weird look and I'm glad we don't see it much. Yeah, but otherwise his body is completely hairless. So there you go. <laughs> Right. And then so after we establish our two heroes, we go back to the villains who have, uh, in a show of force, exploded the South Street Mission, which is where Ben Riley's friend was going after he thanked Ben for helping him get off the streets and like, yeah, I'm really turning my life around. I'm back with Stark Industries or M Enterprises or whatever the company's called at this given moment in time. And and everything's bright and happy. And let's go out for coffee, buddy. And Ben Riley says, well, not today chum but i'll see you soon and you know those are all that's that's the kiss of death right there talking to ben riley yes <laughs> um which is funny because the actual mark of death is the mark of cain <laughs> <laughs> so so anyways after the villains you know show a force to show that they're really serious you know not after you know, taking over the World Trade Center and holding hostages. They then announce that they have a nuclear bomb on, in one of the elevator shafts and are not afraid to blow it up. And this is this is the point where the story kind of unravels a little bit for me. I, I want to highlight this because this the way they wrote this out 
just caught me off guard. Um, do you want to know how serious we are? Says terrorist mook number two. We're talking nuclear bomb here, Dan, my man. I This so, like, keep in mind this is the 90s, but there's been something going around with the way people have been talking to you that's been grabbing me, or they're like, uh, my dude, or something after something like that. Mm-hmm. And this hit me exactly like that. <laughs> We're and, talking nuclear bomb here, my dude. Basically, right? <laughs> like... It's just such a weird way to drop that in a story. <laughs> well, like there's there, there's a like people keep calling each other humps in this. Like there's a lot of weird '90s slang that doesn't really register. Like I don't recall people actually talking like this in the '90s. I don't know about you. You're you're a little bit more hip and with it in '90. 90- 96 i was i was still kicking on the playground i know you were like you know getting close to collecting social security and stuff at this point uh. <laughs> um i uh yeah no i also wasn't in new york at the time so maybe that's some of it but yeah i, I can tell you slang in alabama in the 90s was a lot different uh mostly because it was you know in 1990 and the rest of the world it was still about like 1910 in alabama we hadn't quite, quite caught up yet uh <laughs> Uh, wow, I just, I don't know, it, it was this whole interchange run, and I'm wondering, because we were talking about this before, is this kind of the rough moment where you felt there's a lot of diehard illusion? Well, not with a nuclear bomb, but I definitely think, not illusion per se, but I, I think there's a clear influence here uh, in a way that I think... <sighs> You can have a story about hostages in a tower and someone trying to rescue them out of it without really feeling like there's a lot taken from Die Hard here. But with this comic, the the verticality of the to- of the tower, um, the kind of the the. F- the 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 central character of of like the the police chief on the ground and the, like the the lone hero in the tower but we're, it's not a lone hero but you you follow me no the ex- sorry go on <laughs> the 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 explosions uh, like crawling through ducks and like i realized crawling through ducks and explosions and actions are are 100 spider-man stuff but i mean you have to like you have to understand that post die hard ripping off die hard was the way you did an action piece and this is this is 100 a like hard action thriller story about like thwarting a heist i i feel like it's a bit of a reach but i don't know i mean you don't get to nukes till like what die hard five anyways Um, but yeah, I don't know. To me, like you said, this, to me, this just felt like, like I said before, like, you know, terrorist attack on, you know, notable location, spider men's in this case, come in to save the day. Also, I want to note, they just call Scarlet Spider the spider. Like the cops just call him spider. And I'm just thinking, yeah, okay. Maybe they're colorblind. What? Maybe they're colorblind. They don't know he's the Scarlet Spider. Maybe they see him. He's like, well, he's kind of like the green spider, but I don't know the green spider. We'll just call him the spider. Maybe he's one of those. That's not how colorblindness works at all. You see a gray normally. You don't like transpose to another color. Yeah, sometimes it depends on what kind of colorblindness you have. Sometimes, sometimes you can't discern a color within like another color or one color appears. It's typically red and green. I don't think you can do that with primary color. Maybe I'm wrong. Any, anyway. (laughs) 
All right. So, yeah, you know, eventually, uh, you know, Ben Riley sees the explosion from the mission. Peter overhears on the radio that the Skyland Diner uh, or restaurant. Is it the diner? The restaurant. Peter, yeah, Peter overhears that the restaurant uh, that MJ is in has been taken hostage. So they're both on the case. And they never, like, I don't know if they ever actually meet or even see each other in this issue. Like, I, I think that, I mean, they, they, they're clearly both working on the same issue but it's never like oh hey ben let's you know you take you take this i'll take this all right you know go team split up it's it's kind of like they both come in at the same time do handle the situation in their own way and then split off they they seem to be aware of each other's presence but it's kind of subtext oddly Mm -hmm. uh also i want to note when uh Ben's friend croaks. He's shake. He's literally shaking his fist at the sky, going, "Why?" <laughs> um, I couldn't help but laugh. Uh, I, you know, I was, I was the same way. The, the melodrama of it. Um, and when we come back to. I'm going to call it a restaurant because if someone if you can't conceive someone walking through the door and ordering a quote unquote cup of joe, it's not a diner. Uh, (laughs) So there's someone who gets shot when he's asking to use the bathroom and he's asking for his son to use the bathroom. And then they so they shoot him. Yes. And uh, Mary Jane gets uppity with one of these guys and says, we need to take him to a doctor and your subordinate caused this problem because he she talks to one of the other people in the chrome dome outfits which good call Mm -hmm. um (laughs) and so this guy's like here let me settle the problem for you and so he shoots the chrome dome guy who shot the father asking about the bathroom he's like this settles the problem there we're even and there's something about that where she like immediately is like okay i was lucky i didn't get shot and backs down And, and it was just something about that whole like weird morality thing like hey these guys are beyond super villain and level evil like that's just well okay so it kind of once again like i think speaks to the the era of of the the stories where like the villains are are just very laughably evil they're interchangeable they they act without any rhyme or reason there's no there's no like deeper deeper thought behind these are the bad guys their existence is to be stopped by the good guys and to increase the tension in the story yeah i mean but i mean we've had fairly irredeemable characters before and just think of the classic spider-man villains like Mm electra is pretty irredeemable but not this bad i don't know uh (laughs) anyways uh, these guys are just like beyond comic book super villain trope bad like they're just like i didn't even know how to like take i was like what just happened that escalated so quickly (laughs) Well, it, it kind of reminds me, and you're, you're probably going to have to help me uh, fill this in because uh, you're the Batman guy. There's <laughs> like a there, there's there's a panel with the Joker where he like asks someone to like change a tire out on his car. Oh, in the or Neil Gaiman, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, "Aren't you going to shoot me?" And Joker's like, "Well, why would I? Why would I do that? There, there's nothing funny about that." Right. And I I think that that's that's kind of like that panel was made kind of in response to things like this where to showcase the evilness and villainy of of the bad guy of the week it's the the uh, the wanton violence and that seemingly without reason yeah well i mean also that's neil gaiman writing the joker not scott snyder writing the joker or whatever so look if we want to get into it i'm just going to say the joker is a bad benchmark because he's been so over the map you could 
pin anything to him. So, but if you're to say take the Green Goblin mm-hmm. to steer it a little closer, he kills people wantonly all the time. But if he doesn't have an objective in mind, it ha- it could be loose. Mm-hmm. Um, distract Spider-Man for a moment. <laughs> uh, he'll he'll try to murder someone, but he's not just killing people for the. F- flip and sake of it whereas we have carnage who basically is just going for the high score Mm -hmm. Uh, so i mean there is that one thing but i mean carnage is that idea of serial killer unchained with the ability to just endlessly kill and that's what makes him kind of compelling because he's such a villain uh though that gets to some weird other points about Carnage stories that we could talk about another time. And I think part of the reason why people don't like him so much, but that's not this story. That was three issues ago in Unlimited. <laughs> uh, you know, we've actually never talked about a Carnage story. We should do that. We should find a good Carnage story to talk I about. I have exactly the issue for us to do. All right. There we go. Uh, anyway, so let's 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 keep moving on because we're kind of getting bogged down in the story. Yeah. Um, so Peter hears about the attack at the restaurant in the World Trade Center from Carnage. Carmen Diaz is the reporter. I thought it was Cameron Diaz due to the lettering kind of blotching (laughs) on the copy I had for a second. I really had to stare at it. I was like, what? Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, you know, Spider-Man goes because he knows his wife is there. Also, he would have gone anyways. So Mm -hmm. there there you go. He's off swinging away to save the day. (laughs) Those who oppose his web must yield. Um, (laughs) So there's a big brawl and like... I don't want to say, and then the, there was a big brawl, and then the villains were dispatched. But ultimately, that, that's kind of what happens. I mean, do you have any any other notes to really say? Like, it's it's Spider Man helped save a helicopter from flying down by putting in a web net, which felt like because we were kind of tracking uh, Spider Man's web. Sorry, this is when Scarlet Spider had all the super webs. So Spider Man's web, uh, web of steel here, which <laughs> I think it was compared to the strength of steel when it's initially spun before um, in one of the breakdowns that uh, I believe Stanley did. So mm-hmm. yeah, uh, his webnet can catch a freaking falling helicopter. Well, Fun fact. <sighs> exactly. Um, so, okay, yeah, so we vanquished the foes. There's there's some pretty good spectacle, uh, I think, especially with Ben kind of like swinging through the air off the guy's like jet boots. Um and, and that, that's kind of exciting. Same thing with Spider-Man fighting the uh, the head terrorist unlimited guy. You can tell he's the head because he has the little eyepiece um, and another nuclear detonator, which I, I don't understand. Like, how are you going to like, OK, so your plan is to steal this money so that you can go and like have like your tropical islands getaway. Why are you going to detonate the building you're standing in with a nuclear device? A nuclear device that will probably level Manhattan, Manhattan Island. Like, what? I, I, I don't understand. I don't under. Like, is this supposed to be like a mini nuke? Like, is this like a fallout nuke where like it only affects like within like a thirty yard radius? Like, I, I, I don't even understand. Even then, he's dead. Yeah, even then, he's in. He's in the tower. <laughs> um. So th- there were some. Uh, 
logical inconsistencies with yeah this no issue. the bad guy thing doesn't make, and here's the thing if they just had a bomb you know mm-hmm. stock standard thrown at the train tracks black ball go boom sort of deal that would do some structural damage so i don't know it just a nuclear they, they bomb is so ridiculous it's hard to take this comic seriously because, like you said, the stakes override the antagonist's objective to the point where you're just like, okay. <laughs> also, I, I, I feel like not everyone reads everything with a pure metatextual intent, but the idea that they let a nuclear bomb go off in the World Trade Center just feels like, yeah, that's not happening. Because <laughs> otherwise, every Spider-Man comic for the next decade is going to have to address this. And that's not happening in Spider-Man Unlimited number eight. There's just no way. <laughs> I mean, I don't think anyone really went into this one thinking God. like, man, I wonder if I wonder if MJ and Spider Man's gonna make it out of well, this caper. I know, I know, I know, right? Like, there's that right. level. Like, obviously, nothing really bad is gonna happen to him, right? But you have to like, like the scale of the potential bad. Like, if Mary Jane got shot, that's not going to affect the Inhumans or all of the Avengers, or like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, like yeah. that's universe <laughs> shaping. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I follow what you're saying. Like, you know, if Manhattan Island gets leveled, like, it's not going to happen in uh, Spider-Man Unlimited number eight. Right, and I, I know they can't write like that per se, but the scale of the of the problem is just so far beyond that. It's just like, okay, fine, you do you. Let's see how this goes. <laughs> um, the, the only other real note I have about this book, unless you had something else, is right pretty much at the conclusion where we get a cool page comparison between Ben and Peter. That's all I was going to talk about too, so let's dive into it. And and this is what I was talking about with a bit of that emotional play between the characters. Um, So Spider-Man has his little angle where he's talking to one of those cop detectives. You know, you can tell because he has a Mm -hmm. trench coat. And he's like, (laughs) Spider-Man, what's your motivation? And he's like, because I care, man. (laughs) Because I care, that's then there's a detective talking to ben who has like a goatee and he's like dude why are you doing this he's like because i care (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i like your dramatization uh, (laughs) uh, of this uh it's a little bit more nonchalant than that we we get very intense portraits of both uh scarlet spider and regular flavored spider um you know saying you know because i care and care being the bolded word um so i mean it's supposed to be i don't know like the the punctuating moment and the like i guess we're not so different to you and i kind of thing even though they're not really saying it to each other well uh and that's the thing is they're independent of each other and ironically it's two cops taking down people's stories to see if they collaborate in a way (laughs) from a viewer (laughs) perspective and they they do. They're essentially doing the same thing for the same reasons. They're very similar characters, right? Right. And so it's I, almost like they're clones of each other. It's genuine and honest in that way, but also, goddamn, this feels like two shades from making the Spider Men be like the Care Bears. I just. <laughs> All right. Um. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say that's it for this issue. Um. So let's move on to that web of ranking. Uh, 
So, uh, I'm, where were you thinking about putting this bad boy on our list? So, a weird single issue that's kind of corny. Uh, height of the 90s has two Spider-Men. I guess a comparison point to start off with would be that one we covered earlier that you compared to, which was Spider-Man 2099 meets Spider-Man OG. So I have it here. Uh <laughs> I would say this is a shade below that issue for sure. Well, you were definitely brighter on that than I was because I would and I would put that this above above that one. I think this serves better as like a 90s story and all of its aesthetics because I mean like this is this is very much an aesthetically 90s comic book Spider-Man story we got the clones we got faceless chromed out like bad guys we've got die hard uh you know and we've got the weird slang uh we got impact webs I mean this has everything you would want from like what does this what is, like i don't want to read like like a, a 10 page or like a 10 part story give me one comic that will tell me everything i need to know about what it was to pick up a random issue of spider-man and read it and then you give him this copy or a copy of this and i i think i think that's i think this distills the 90s in a single issue very well I don't know. I don't know, man. I don't know if I agree with that. This is this is cornier than a lot of the nineties. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and, and like I said, the villains motivations make like the motivation makes sense, but then their actions based on that motivation just don't make sense throughout. Like there's some guys looking to have a good time, but they're willing to shoot each other over like nothing and then planning on blowing themselves up. I don't know. I, not that I, the villain motivation really impacts the story so much, but I mean, also we have this impact of Ben with a death that like just feels like it doesn't matter. feels throwaway. And Peter took a nap and then woke up and Spider-Man. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I see what you're saying. If you want to throw this above uh, 2099, that's fine. Um, well, okay. Well, now, now I'm starting to look at what what else is around there, and uh, I'm seeing, you know, Spider-Man 2099 meets uh, Spider-Man. Then that's 31. Below that is the Hydra-Man and Mary Jane episode of the uh, cartoon, and then below that is Peter Parker Spider-Man 56 and 57 which is reborn sandy fetus. Um, which you like to call the sandy fetus uh and i think that is a stronger issue than this one is um so now i'm looking at local superhero which is that one we did with brian way yeah. back when with uh web of spider-man 8 and 9 mm-hmm. and i still think that's a better story than this one was um so it really sounds like this like, 2099 is out of place for you yeah but uh okay so so i, I think i think okay i think i I would put this so let's compare it to Final Adventure because that's another that's another Ben and Peter story oh and this is right around that era like this helps inform that in a lot of ways MJ being pregnant the two of them working on a case but in different ways and uh, generally being a weird comic (laughs) with weird villains with weird motivations I would put this below Final Adventure above Grim Hunt which is the one directly below Final Adventure I wow we really didn't like Grim Hunt, did we? Um, no, we did not. Yeah, no, I'm fine with that. 
Okay, there we go. That's where it goes. It's our new number 37. Well, we'd like to thank everyone for tuning into the show. Uh, if you'd like to show your support, get exclusive reviews of modern Spider-Man comics, commission artwork from Spider-Man artists past and present, as well as access to the members-only select section of our Slack community, check out the amazing Spider-Talks Podcasting Network's Patreon. That's two shows to support for the price of one and twice the bonus content. Up next in our final final episode of our reader requests block we will be discussing sensational spider-man annual number one it's gonna be a fun one what do you think matt i hope you guys like math because we're gonna have to bust through some fraction uh, all right that's uh, i'm cutting you off <laughs> <laughs> special thanks to the ellie bad matt fraction wrote that story in case in case you're not super familiar with that one um but <laughs> special thanks to the ellie badge for providing our theme song if you'd like to listen more from them check out the show notes for links and until kane asks me for a cup of coffee that we can't go take make mine unfold. <laughs>